You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. We have the leadership on our team that we haven't had here in a while, uh, since really since we've been here as a staff. So those guys are demanding to go out and play hard. If you do something wrong, do it 100 miles an hour, and it's resonating to the rest of the team. So we're excited about that, and it's fueled by Austin Allen, Travis Volkolak. Those guys have stepped up and Cam Jurgens on the offense in the end. Yeah, it's it's crazy. It's all it's already the fifth practice. I just I think for me it means that you can't take a practice for granted. You have to come every single day, and every rep counts. And you can't take a like I said, you can't take a playoff because we have a job to get done. And I think um, more you work, the better things are going to pay off. So. And welcome here to this edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan and Robin Washed taking you through. The heart of fall camp as Nebraska nearly a week through of practice here and interesting just to hear some of the comments and, and we're going to drive you through that here on this edition of the Husker Online Show. So we'll take some questions in the mailbag and talk recruiting, but going to spend three full segments hitting offense, defense, and kind of big picture storylines. But Nebraska got to start a week earlier than everybody else because of week zero. And I even found this interesting, Robin. Illinois chose not to start last week on Friday but instead Monday. So Nebraska is technically going to be like four practices ahead of Illinois. Um, and instead they will use those practice days they didn't use over the bye week. And Nebraska will just have to have additional days off in their bye weeks, which is what a bye week yeah, supposed to be for. the whole point of it. So it, just kind of week zero inside baseball talk there. I, I thought that was interesting. Illinois didn't start till Monday when Nebraska started Friday and went through the weekend. And now they're five in through taping here on Wednesday. So, Things are off and rolling. I mean, I asked Ethan Piper. They're twenty as a Wednesday. There's just twenty practices left to go, Robin, before that Illinois game in Champaign. It's crazy. I mean, it's off season. Doesn't even seem like we had a break uh, with everything. How crazy the summer was and all the the news and stuff that went down. And now here we are, already you know a full week into camp and uh, closing in on game day here in a couple weeks or at least game week that. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy to think about. And, you know, I know it's the earliest start ever, but it just seems like this is going fast. This offseason went faster than ever that I could remember. You're listening here to the Husker Line Show as we talk fall camp storylines. And I think when we got to see the team on Wednesday, uh, we saw on Friday at photo day or Thursday at photo day and then um, Wednesday at practice. And I, I think we both would agree just eyeball tests, depth, they have more options. I mean, I feel like if an injury happens here or there, it's not necessarily the end of the world. I mean, I, I, you know, I think the Will Honus injury was an example of they have a lot of inside linebackers now. The Fedoni injury was a big example that they have plenty of tight ends. Um, and I just think this team, when you look at them, when you eyeball them and see them in practice and the opportunities we've seen them, it's far and away the deepest and best-looking team physically and I think mentally the leadership of this roster is built a lot differently um, than we've seen under Coach Frost. Yeah, I mean, it, it should be the best team that Frost has assembled this year for. But what I really note is the, the kind of top-to-bottom um, voice that is coming out just with how they're carrying themselves and, like you mentioned, the, the, the leadership internally within the players. I remember when Frost first got here, 
that was one of the first things that he talked about was needing players to hold other players and their teammates accountable and have leadership within the locker room to where the coaches didn't need to do everything. And it seems like that's starting to happen. You know, um, know, Austin Allen has taken such a a strong command of that offense. Cam Juergens has become like the the most vocal leader, not only in the offensive line, but on the entire team to where these guys are, are demanding perfection from their teammates. And you know what I another notable thing uh, came from Sean Becton, uh, who, you know, saw there was a play uh, at the beginning of camp where Austin Allen, you know, one of the, the big leaders of the team, didn't finish a block the way he was supposed to. And Becton made it a point to run over to Austin Allen and just light him up, just chewed him out as much as he's chewed out a player maybe since he's been here. And there was total strategy behind that. And Austin Allen knew it to where he took that, um, you know, as, as well as he possibly could uh, and, and very next rep finished the block he was always supposed to. And everyone saw it. Every single player saw the way Austin Allen handled that and the fact that the coaches held one of the you know prominent players on the team to that level of standard, to where that accountability is from top to bottom. And that's the kind of little stuff that, for me, is really important. Yeah, they look big, strong, fast, and all that stuff, but like th- this, the biggest issue this team has had over the years is handling pressure when it matters the most. When it, when it comes down to winning those close toss-up games, they've found one way or another to crumble. And it just seems like at least from a leadership standpoint, this team is as best suited to handle those types of moments than Frost has had. You know, another interesting thing, Ethan Piper said this about the offensive line, just that it's without a doubt the closest the room has been. And, you know, I, I think Hymas and Farniak were good veteran players, but they just, I think their presence and all the crap those kids had to deal with in their career, it was tough for them to be true leaders at times just because – it was hard for them to probably trust and you know what all the different coaches and things that they've dealt with in their careers and now it feels different i think with that lineman group and other groups in general um i think the roles are more established in this locker room who leads this football team and how it happens and and you don't have things kind of pulling other directions i mean go back to last year i think i feel like the McCaffrey thing trying to create this competition with him and adrian that that was a distraction the Wandell angle, trying to please him and kind of develop a role for him that would keep him happy. And that 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 was a, a challenge at times, I think, um, to, to prepare a game and win and, and also find a way to make sure you use Wandell properly. And then you, know, you had a captain like Cade Warner who really wasn't one of the best players on your team but was in a leadership role. And so I, I just think the dynamics of the roster are much differently, particularly on offense. Yeah, and I, again, I think – a lot of that, um, you know, there's, you talk about the offensive line and, you know, tight end and, uh, you know, the improvements they made at wide receiver. But from all accounts, all of this is starting at quarterback with the way that Adrian Martinez has attacked this offseason. And, you know, he's a guy that, as we all know, has gone through as many ups and downs, peaks and valleys, uh, highs and lows as any player on this team over the last three years. But, uh, you talk to literally every teammate, offense, defense, no matter what the position, uh, they all say the same thing about him, that he's just been different this year. And you know, Austin Allen called it a kind of a nothing-to-lose mentality for him this year. And Adrian, you know, he was asked about that uh, in that press conference before fall camp, and he said, yeah, I mean, that's just 
that that's my mentality right now that uh, all that has happened over the last three years like this this is what the year that it's all about this is the year that it has to happen and I think when you have that mindset at your most high profile position uh, guys are going to follow that and that sets the tone for other guys to step up and kind of echo those same types of of leadership qualities where where Austin Allen's doing the same thing. Cam Jurgens is doing the same thing. Uh, you know, Samari Toure, he's a new guy, but he's kind of stepping up as a, as a big leader of that room. Uh, so I think that the, the ripple effect of Adrian's off season is setting the tone for a lot of these other guys to kind of follow suit. And when you have everybody kind of doing the same thing, saying the same thing and going about their day-to-day business the same way, that's when you start to see market change. And that's why I think this off season has been so productive. Well, and, I think I'm going to speak here for a lot of our listeners, whether they're on our affiliates in Fremont, Kearney, Grand Island, Lincoln, um, around the state of Nebraska, um, around the world that download our show each week. I think a lot of people are in the camp, Robin, that they, they want to see it before they buy oh, in. No and, doubt. and you're, you know, so yeah, we're telling you all this and, and I can hear people probably listening right now in their minds saying, yeah, believe it when I see it. And cause we've been down this road before and I totally get it. I understand. Like you've had your heart broken. You've, invested everything in only to have everything kind of destroyed and it's embarrassing it's hard as a nebraska fan i think to see all these expectations every year and then boom fall flat on their face um so i totally get the wait and see camp because a lot of people are in that wait and see camp right now with this roster and this team um, but it feels different it, it there's just something unique about i think martinez getting himself to where he's at right now and where this roster is at so it's going to be a lot of fun and i i think this illinois game is a real opportunity for nebraska i mean if they can go down to champagne and put together what we think a scott frost team should have been playing like in 2019 or even 20 i think a lot of things change a lot of things feel differently at that point and when it happens it will turn quick i really believe that i think this fan base as we know they want to get behind a winner. I mean, they want to support you, but when you win, it turns even quicker. And there's an opportunity early on the schedule to get that momentum going out to Oklahoma and be 3-0, and and they've got to seize that. So uh, when we come back, we're going to talk more offensive storylines from fall camp. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Hi, it's Sean Callahan with Husker Online. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. A company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones and see what we find. Learn more at uscellular.com slash built for us. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Oh, Adrian's is night and day as far as his mechanics, his leadership, his confidence. Um, you can see it. Um, I told him yesterday I love where he is, keep his head where it is. He's performing at a high level. He's demanding a lot out of himself and demanding a lot out of his teammates. He's playing at the highest level I've ever seen him. So now he's got to continue that. He can't go backward. he got to make sure he continues to strive forward and keep leading this, this offense and this team. He went to another level. He went to another level, a whole another level. And we're excited about it because that's the Adrian Martinez we've been wanting to see. He's really, really at a good spot right here. Everybody across the board of the team knows it, and they're following him. When the team follows the quarterback, you're really going to have a great team. He's playing on a high level. 
And welcome back here to the Husker Line Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett as tight ends coach. Sean Becton bringing the heat, Robin Washett there. Um, some of the best sound, really, we heard out of fall camp. And I'll tell you, when you hear Sean Becton speak, I mean, he sounds like he should be a head coach. Like, mm-hmm. like he, he carries himself, presents, and speaks like a leader of a program. And you, you can tell why that tight end group has gotten better. I mean, I think when you talk about underrated guys on this staff – Sean Becton, to me, with what he brings as a recruiter um, in Georgia and the players he's helped bring in in that mm-hmm. southern part of North Florida and Georgia, not the Miami area. That he's that's not his really his true area. Uh, but then what what he's done with Travis Volkolek and Austin Allen, I mean, he's done a heck of a job. Yeah, you pair his recruiting ties, which are as good right up there with Travis Fisher. Uh, you'd probably put him as maybe one B or, or number two on, on the best recruiters on the staff right now, just given his production and pair that with the development of that position to where you can make a case tight end might be the best position group on the team right now. Uh, I mean, that's, that says a lot about him. And I mean, he is so well-respected in that Southeast part of the country. I mean, you have to high school coaches all around that region know who Sean Becton is. And when he stops in, uh, he's got a lot of contacts that are going to open doors for Nebraska. You're listening here to the Husker online show. And speaking of those tight ends, Robin, um, it, you know, the NFL scouts or we saw what four teams, mm-hmm. the chiefs, the Texans, the Panthers Bengals, and the Bengals are all at practice on Wednesday. And by no coincidence, they are all watching the tight ends. I mean, they stood in the specific area of the tight end individual drills. They talked to strength coach Zach Duvall, and you'll hear a soundbite later in the show um, about those tight ends from uh, Sean L- or Matt, Lubick. Matt Lubick, Nebraska's offensive coordinator, that they're the best tight ends that he's been around. And that, that goes all the way back to his time at Oregon when they had three NFL tight ends. And I, I, I just get the sense that – they are going to be a huge part of this offense. Well, and they've coaches Scott Frost, Matt Lubick, Sean Becton have all said as much to where I know they said this before. We need to get the tight ends more involved, and really you go back to like the last you know two or three coaching staffs. That's that's been a common theme is we need to get the tight ends more involved, and it never happens. But I I do think that maybe more than ever, there's actually a true effort being made. To make that happen and it starts with you know not only adding some different plays to the playbook um you know sean becton said they're also kind of reprioritizing some route uh options for reads for for the quarterback to where uh what was once the number one read is now the tight end uh, on on the exact same pass play and maybe the biggest impact you're going to see is in the red zone i mean you don't have that much height that much talent and not throw to those guys when you know the the quarters are tight and there's not much room to operate because uh, their mentality is you just throw the ball in a place where you can go make a play those guys are going to go get the ball and so you know I think that that is one area where I mean not just by volume the tight ends are going to be more involved but in those specific situations to score touchdowns where the red zone's been such an issue for Nebraska getting in the end zone I mean you they have to find different ways to utilize those those guys and I know that Scott Frost Lubick and Becton uh, all this offseason watched film of NFL teams of what they were doing and to, Florida yeah Kyle and, Trask yeah uh, Kyle Pitts, Pitts. Yep. Trask was the quarterback yep, yep. Pitts so, was the tight end so I mean that's a thing where like they're seeing the NFL I mean the, the, the tight ends are the go-to option in that part of the field and when you got these types of athletes at that position group you got to find a way to get them involved and I think they are, they're doing everything they can to do so and I feel like late in the year last year we started to see it happen more I thought at Rutgers the way they threw those tight ends like late in the game I mean Adrian is dropping dimes yep. 
And Adrian, you, you heard Becton about Adrian Martinez deliver probably the best soundbite at fall camp. If he is the Adrian Martinez that we thought he was going to be in 2019 when he was third on the Heisman Trophy odds list behind, you know, guys like um, the Oklahoma quarterback, uh, Jalen Hurts, mm-hmm. and then Trevor Lawrence, and then Adrian Martinez was the next guy. If he's that type of guy, everything changes about this year. And I think that's really the million-dollar question about everything. Can Adrian Martinez elevate Nebraska from this four- to five-win purgatory that they've had to be in and get them up a notch just to get this program turned? Yeah, I mean, it's been the case the last three years, and we've seen exactly what happens. When Adrian Martinez is good, Nebraska's good. When Adrian Martinez struggles, Nebraska struggles. There's no single player on this roster that will dictate Nebraska's success one way or the other more than Adrian Martinez. And that's a natural thing with quarterbacks, but especially with this team and this player and how much they have riding on the shoulders of number two. I mean, it, it, it cannot be stressed enough that they need Adrian to not only be good, but to be healthy and stay on the field to where they're not scrambling to try to replace him or, or playing him when he's only 60, 70% healthy. I mean, th- th- there's a lot of <laughs> layers involved here, but it comes down to they need Adrian on the field and they need him to be at his best. So that's where all these comments, and maybe it's you know just, just wishful thinking coming from the team, but uh, everyone's saying that Adrian has been fantastic. And that, that Sean Becton quote is, the, is the, the best that we've heard yet, but everyone's saying the same thing, that he looks different, he's slimmed down, he's more focused than ever. And if that can somehow translate onto the field to where he's playing at the level that he left off his freshman year, Nebraska's going to make a make some waves. A massive jump. Yes, a massive jump to where not only are they pushing for a 500-plus record, but uh, maybe even a few steps up higher the, the Big, Ten West, Big Ten West race. And then running back, Robin. I want to talk running back because that still, to me, yes, there's that offensive line guard spot um, that needs to be settled, and it just feels like it's Sichterman right now, uh, yeah. but I don't, we don't need to even get in that. I mean, I think that that's not a significant talking point right now because I'm not. I don't think that's a big problem. No. I think running back is is where we want to go right here. And Gabe Urban, if you listen to our newest podcast, The Beat with JoJo Doman, which will drop every Monday, he said Gabe Urban will be the breakout guy that no one knows about for next year, uh, for this year. So I, I get the feel he could be the number one. But then there's a lot of other running backs, Sevion Morrison, Ramir Johnson, Marvin Scott, and then Marquis Stepp, and then Jacquez Yant. And I mean, you go down the line, that position group to me, nobody really knows where that's heading yet. No, they don't. And because there's so many players that we have not even seen <laughs> playing games, let alone practice that much. So uh, a lot to be determined there, but you just get the sense that some guys are slowly starting to rise to the top uh, of that race where Gay Bourbon is getting a lot of attention and a lot of praise, uh, you know, and then Marquis Stepp being healthy, being out on the field after missing pretty much all spring with that foot injury. He's apparently back to 100%. And again, he came here to push for a starting job from day one. So you have to include him in that conversation. And then, you know, Marvin Scott had a, had a really good spring. Can he stay healthy? We don't know anything about Sevion Morrison. Can he stay on the field? And then the surprise of the spring, Jacques Yant, I mean, he looks like a, a Clydesdale out there with how big he is. And he's, he's a completely different piece to that running back puzzle. You got to think there's going to be some type of role for him in some regard, whether it's short yardage, goal line, whatever. But the good news is they have options. The bad news is they are all unproven at, at, at Nebraska. And it's, you know, let's face it, in the transfer portal world that we live in, 
it's a very delicate deal on how they handle this. I mean, they want all these guys to, to get a look and be around because you know how that position goes. And I don't think you want to show your hand too quickly. But then again, you don't want to wait too long. Yeah, and as Scott Frost said, he he doesn't want to take as long as he maybe would in previous years with that type of decision. I think they're okay with letting like kickoff specialists and, and maybe even punter go on through camp. But with running back, they want a guy, and they don't want to just solve the the competition. They want to get that guy reps because of that experience they have at running back. I mean, there's just a, a lack of practice reps that these guys have under their belts. And so once they do identify the guy, then they have to get going, uh, incorporating him as that work course feature back that is so necessary in this offense all right when we come back we'll talk defense you're listening here to the husker online show this is husker online your authority on nebraska athletics the the main thing i see globally across the team not just offense not just defense not just special teams is the willingness to do things right by everybody and that starts the top and I think those freshmen right now are getting a little, <clears throat> you know, baptism by fire and they don't know any other way. They know those old guys do things right. They know those old guys demand them to do things right. And it's rubbing off on them. And I think that's the biggest thing I see. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, that was defensive coordinator Eric Chenander um, talking about his unit. And I think that's what's different about this group. For the most part, every one of these guys have played for Chenander either three or four years and that just hasn't happened at Nebraska since the Pelini era where you know, Bo and Papuchas had a group of players that long. You just think about how long ago that was. I mean, that was the 2014 college football season, and we're in 2021. So the, this, the way this group has been built and now coached, I think they're at a much different place than they've ever been as a defense and probably haven't been there since maybe 2013, 2014 at Nebraska. No question. I mean, there was a point where Nebraska's defensive backs had four position coaches in four years, and now they've had the same position coach for the last four years. I mean, that in itself. That hasn't happened, by the way, since Bill Bush and Phil Almatian from 2004 to 2007. And by the way, Bill Bush is now back at Nebraska. There so. you go. So even more stability there. But, I mean, yeah, that goes a long way. I mean, when you guys are conti- continually having to – you know, learn different coaching styles and terminology and uh, let alone different, you know, schemes and, and techniques that, that each coach wants, that stunts your development. Uh, when, when you have to start from scratch every offseason, uh, it's extremely hard to get better. And so for, for the defensive backs, for, you know, the linebackers with, you know, Barrett Rude and, uh, I mean, uh, defensive line, I know Tuioti and then Mike Dawson, who's back. I mean, there, there's at least a stable consistent voice at each one of those position groups that the same message is being delivered year in year out and the same uh, expectations and you know all, all that are, are continuous between one year to the next and that's why you're seeing guys actually get better on that side of the ball it's a weird concept when when you know what you're doing suddenly you're a better football player and I think the stability on this coaching staff especially on the defensive side of the ball has been a major reason for that you're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we talk defense and I'll tell you what really has jumped out to me and these guys may not even play a big factor this year but the bottom pieces of the defensive line. I mean, yeah, that top group, we know what they are with Stilly and Damian Daniels and Casey Rogers and Ty Robinson. But then you start to see like what the back end starting to look like. I mean, Nash Hutmacher and Ruquan Buckley, Jordan, and Jordan Riley, Riley and then Jalen Weaver. Yes. I mean, and Ruquan Buckley. Masai, Masai Newsome. I mean, yeah. there, there is so much material now 
on a defensive line that we haven't seen at Nebraska where they've got the size, the length, everything that you need to run a 3-4 defense where you go back to what it used to be when they first got here. They, the, the, I mean, even back to the Diaco era when they switched to 3-4, they were playing six foot two defensive linemen in 3-4, mm-hmm. which is not what you're supposed to do. And now they've got the right measurables and dudes built in this program on that 3-4 defensive line. Yeah, and so you really like your top line. I mean, even the, your, your top four at that position. But to have depth like that, that is so valuable to be able to keep that top group fresh over the course of the season to where they're not being dependent relied upon to play, you know, 40 to 50 snaps a game. I mean, as a D lineman, that takes such a toll on you over the course of a, of a full 12-game schedule. So now they actually have the luxury of not just being able to rotate, but being able to rotate in guys that are really good and big and strong and fit the Big Ten style of defensive lineman that uh, is so necessary to compete in this conference. And so the, you got to really credit the job, you know, really on both sides of the line with the O-line and D-line uh, of adjusting the profile of the type of player that they're bringing in here to where not only is there, you know, a good top group on, on both sides, but there's, there's numbers. And th- that is the biggest key because, uh, you know, attrition is the name of the game up front and they have the luxury now of a stable on both sides of the ball up front. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we talk uh, defensive storylines for Nebraska. And, you know, a couple notable things uh, as well on defense from this open practice. Randolph Kapai, we saw, was wearing a sling on his arm. Didn't see Nick Henrich out there. Um, and I'll be curious if he's nicked up or where that's at. But all of a sudden, that inside linebacker position, you, you know, they've got options. Uh, Kalarvik and then obviously Luke Reimer. But they really want that rotation established and – you know, it looks like Kapai with his arm in a sling, that, that's a longer-term deal um, with him to watch and keep your eyes on. Uh, but that position, um, the the outside linebacker from Iowa, the freshman, he, he he's out as well. Um, I'm blanking on his name. The the kind of the Russian kid, the redshirt freshman, he was out as well. So, oh, Blaze Gunnarsson. Blaze Gunnarsson, yeah. And, and he, you know, got the sack in the spring game, beat Turner Corcoran yeah, off the edge. But he's battled injuries as well. So, I mean, there's a little bit of a question there. But, man, they've got so many options at linebacker on the outside with JoJo Doman, Feldarius Payne, Caleb Tanner, Garrett Nelson. And then on the inside, you know you, know you at least got three um, guys right now. So I, I like the makeup of what we've seen early on from those linebacker spots. Yeah, and, you know, that's kind of if you want to look at a, a question, uh, maybe not so much on the outside. I guess maybe on the outside you would look at JoJo's backup because they're three deep on the other side, you know, with, with Nelson – Tanner and Payne, but you know, with Jojo, they, they got two young guys with Isaac Gifford and, uh, Javin Wright. So, uh, you know, who is going to emerge out of those two? I know Mike Dawson loves Isaac Gifford. Uh, he's just raves about him, not just because uh, of what he's looked like on defense, but because, you know, he's one of those guys that makes it impossible for coaches not to find a way to play him because he's always going to give max effort and he's willing to do literally anything. He's playing on all the special teams and, you know, he's, he's just finding a way onto the field. And when you do that and you're consistent and you're constantly bringing it, uh, you're going to get in the good graces of coaches very quickly. And it's going to be hard to replicate the type of athlete Jojo Doman is going forward, but and I think that those two guys in particular, Isaac Gifford, have a real chance to to maybe be the next in line uh, long term at that position. And then when you you talk about the secondary right now, there's not a lot of intrigue there other than I think Tyreek Johnson. I mean, we know Markel Dismuke, Deontay Williams, and Cam Taylor Britt are three starters. But then Quentin Newsom, Braxton Clark, 
Um, you know, Miles Farmer can plug in there as well. But then Tyreek Johnson. I mean, just looking at the guy, he looks like a guy. Uh, you heard Eric Shenander this week say that when he moves in one-on-ones and drills, he looks like a five-star guy. It's just a matter of getting him ready. And where is he at to me in the big picture? It's kind of a storyline in that secondary. Yeah, I mean, Newsom seemed to have the leg up coming out of spring, but then, you know, Tyreek Johnson changed that that conversation a little bit because, you know, this guy was a five-star, and he wasn't a five-star for nothing. And just because he didn't play cornerback at Ohio State, <laughs> that's a pretty good group uh, to to etch your name in. Uh, that, that doesn't mean that he cannot be a day-one starter for Nebraska, especially given the questions and lack of relative experience at that other cornerback spot. So if he can be the type of player that he was expected to be coming out of high school, uh, you pair him. And Cam Taylor on the other side with those two six-year senior safeties. I mean, that I guess six-year safeties, that's a big deal to have that type of veteran presence and talent on the back end. I mean, that, that could make Nebraska's secondary one of the better groups in the West and maybe uh, right up there in the conference. Quickly, Robin, here as we wrap things up, kick return, punt return on special teams. We learned a little bit on that this week. Yeah, Sean Becton, who's helping out, you know, focusing on the return game, said that uh, with punt return, Cam Taylor-Britt, I think he's the projected number one right now, but Oliver Martin is right behind him, and uh, Brody Belt and Camonte Grimes, the freshmen, are the main guys working at that spot, the early leaders uh, for that job. And then with kickoffs, Omar Manning, uh, he, he kind of made his uh, presence known uh, er, this week during fall camp, uh, and Xavier Betts, Taylor Britt, and Oliver Martin are kind of the, the main group there. But Sean Becton did add that um, you know, I think Wednesday was the first day that they had done kickoff return work and practice like full-on kickoff return and they had 30 guys in line wanting to give it a shot to, to show what they could do at kickoff return so they are not for a lack of uh, of options at that spot all right when we come back we're going to take your questions in the mailbag you're listening here to the husker online show this is husker online your authority on nebraska athletics the scouts should be looking at those guys because you know, I think my last year at Oregon, we had three tight ends that all, all went to the NFL. And these, these are the best two that I've ever been around from a consistency, leadership, and just the way they practice. Coach Beck does a great job with them. Uh, they're making plays. We ask a lot about our, a lot from our tight ends because they have to be point of attack in the run game, but we also split them out as wide receivers, and they have to be able to make plays in the passing game. And so it's a lot on them mentally and physically, and they've done great. And they're leaders of our football team. I mean, the way they lead by example and how hard they practice is contagious and it spreads to other guys. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, as pleased to bring in Husker Online intern, Abby Barmore, as I can take your fall camp questions here in the mailbag. We haven't had a mailbag the last few weeks, but obviously a lot to get on, um, a lot going on uh, with fall camp as well. And Abby, what do you have to lead us off with in the mailbag? Are you expecting a big, small, or no drop-off at both left tackle and right guard this year? I mean, it's a fair question and point because Farniak's number two center for the Cowboys right now, and Hymas, I don't know where he's at on the depth chart, but they're both in the NFL. They both were drafted. Um, and I think the way I would phrase it is at this stage in the game, when you look at Turner Corcoran going into his second year of college football, uh, Bryce Benhart going into really his second or third season at Nebraska, second year of playing 
and you go down the line. I mean, I, I think the potential of these guys is better than what they had before. Farniak and Hymas had to play early in a lot because they were the only options. I think these guys right now are a lot further ahead than where those players were, and I think their upside and potential is better long term. Yeah, but there will be growing pains out of the gates, uh, you know, especially probably with Turner Corcoran, the fact that he's played in one game, and it was a very good experience against Rutgers. I think he more than held his own, and that really was a, a springboard for him going to the offseason uh, to continue that development, but he's still an, an experienced player. He's got all the talent in the world, but there's a difference between practicing, you know, working out, doing all that stuff, and actually being in a game, and the lights are on against live competition. So the more he plays, the better he's going to get. And so like, there might be some hiccups early. Uh, I agree with you. Long term, the ceiling is significantly higher with both of those guys than with the previous two. Who do you think will lead the team in receptions, receiving yards, and receiving touchdowns? I mean, is it Samori Torre on all three? I don't know. I mean, I think Oliver Martin could get a lot of touchdowns. I think Omar Manning. I think Torre is going to have the most catches and most receiving yards, though. That would be my guess today. I'll go Torre with catches. I'm going to go Manning with yards. And that's assuming he can stay on the field and, and live up to his potential. But, man, every time I watch that guy play, he just looks like an NFL wide receiver out there. And – you saw in the spring game, you know, with this whole concerted effort to throw the ball downfield more. Remember that shot they took right out of the gates that, I mean, granted it hit him in the hands and he dropped it, uh, but Adrian threw it on a dime. It would have been like a 60-yard pass uh, early on. Uh, I mean, I think that's the element he can bring. So I think he has the best big play potential. So I'll go with Manning and touchdowns. I'm going to go Austin Allen. Can you call like Xavier Betts a sleeper? I mean, it's weird no. to call a guy that, that is good a it's sleeper. It's crazy. Like I, I, I referred to him as a quote-unquote afterthought, but he's very much not that. But like when you look at Toure and Manning and Martin, then you're like, oh, wait, they still have Xavier Betts too. It's like it is an embarrassment of riches with just the – athletes and the, the size and potential they have in that group. Like a sleeper to me is Wyatt Lever or even Will Nixon. I mean, I think the type guys like that. I mean, Alante Brown, I wouldn't call a sleeper because I think he was supposed to do more than he did last year. And I think he'll play this year, but mm -hmm. it's a good looking group regardless. What do you have next, Abby? Which position gets settled first? The running backs, punters, or kickoff specialists? Oh, man. I feel like Robin kickoff specialists, they already kind of have an idea what they're going to do there. Maybe. Uh, you know, they've done one day of practice as of uh, recording with, with the kickoffs. And so, you know, it was, I guess this would be their second day. So, I mean, they're very limited in that evaluation. And uh, Mike Dawson on Monday said that they're going to take their time with that, you know, punter and kickoff, uh, just because, you know, they, they just got a lot to figure out there, especially with some new arrivals like Helen Meyer uh, with the kickoff spot. Uh, so I think there's just a lot of work to be done there. And the same at, at running back, but it just seems like, it's Gabe Irvin's job. That that uh, competition was narrowing itself down very quickly with Gabe Irvin maybe being the front runner. Taking your questions in the mailbag here with Husker Online intern Abby Barmore. What is next? What's your projected first and second string running backs and why? Well, I think Gabe Irvin, number one. And then I mean, it's so hard to say because there's like four or five guys all in a group. Mm -hmm. And it, I don't really know if anybody knows. I mean, Marvin Scott would have been up there in the spring, but it sounds like Ramir Johnson's having a good go at it right now. So is Sevian Morrison. Marquis Step is playing better. I really don't know if the coaches know at this point. Yeah, I think a lot of it is uh, going to be determined on where Marquis Step is with that injury because obviously he was brought here for a reason to potentially be the starter before he showed up with that foot injury. So 
Matt Lubick said that he's 100%, and if they had to play tomorrow, he would be ready to go. So I think that's a kind of a an eye-opening development that you know, steps a little bit further ahead in that recovery than maybe we would have thought he'd be at this point in fall camp. So if he could stay on the field, I mean, like I said, they, they brought him here to play. And so with Gabe Irvin's emergence and Step being healthy, you got to think those two guys are probably at the front of the pack right now. Which is more likely, a running back with over 1,000 yards or a defender with more than eight sacks? I'm going to say eight sacks. I, I think between Ben Stilley, Valdarius Payne, Ty Robinson, you go down the line, maybe a Garrett Nelson, maybe a Caleb Tanner. I mean, I think there's somebody that could easily get eight sacks. I, I think one game against Fordham, one of those guys could have three or something, you know, yeah. and you're you're there at that point. So. I think that's more likely just because I really don't know if Gabe Irvin or whoever is truly in a thousand yard back yet. It's all going to be dependent on if they can have one running back play an entire season or at least close to an entire season. They have not had that luxury since Divino Zigbo left. And guess what? When it's Divino Zigbo played, he got a thousand yards. So that's the question. I think that if Gabe Irvin, I mean, if we're assuming he's the starter, if he can be that workhorse guy from start to finish, or at least for the majority of the season, a thousand yards should be the standard for a Scott Frost running back every year. I mean, that that's what he did all his time at Oregon. Uh, that's what he did at UCF. So, I mean, the, the history suggests that that is a very attainable goal. It's already been done here. They just need somebody that can stay on the field long enough to do it. What's next, Abby? All right, this one's for Robin. So you mentioned a big recruiting weekend in the works this fall for Nebraska ball. Any updates on who will be attending that? Not yet. I mean, nothing's been locked in. Uh, there's been p- several recruits, especially um, you know a few that were here back in June during that big visit month that already were planning on coming back in the fall for official visits. I think it's just a matter of you know, what works for each guy's schedule. But I do know that Nebraska is planning on doing another one of those Midnight Madness events. Uh, I don't know if they've officially just kind of locked in the date, but uh, I'm guessing it's going to be the Friday night before the Northwestern game. So that would be October 1st, I believe, is that Friday night uh, because the Northwestern game is like one of their only night home kickoffs. So it worked out really well, and I would imagine that's going to be a very big recruiting weekend for both football and basketball with that Midnight Madness event. All right, time for two more, Abby. What do you got? Does Nebraska finish the year with a positive turnover margin? I mean, these are just such hard questions to answer. I mean, well, yes. I mean, I, I mean, I don't know. Like, you would think they would, mainly because Martinez is a fourth-year starting quarterback, and if he's buttoned up the problems that have plagued him, that shouldn't be an issue. And it sounds like he has, and at least in camp. And I think his level of focus and detail is the whole key to everything. And I believe it will be better this year. And you pair that with the experience they have, uh, especially in the secondary and, you know, even at linebacker, uh, you know, coming back on defense, they sh- that should create more opportunities for guys to, to go take chances, make plays, which when do that, usually that's when turnovers happen. So you pair those two factors Sure, they should, but again, a lot left to play out with that. All right, final question, Abby Barmore, what do you have? The first game is less than 25 days away. What are you guys most excited for to get back in the swing of things? I mean, I, I just think getting everybody back in that stadium and, and, and seeing this town, you know, just Friday nights driving around Lincoln on a game weekend, going into Shields and seeing all the dust-covered SUVs buying new Husker gear and people in town for the game and – People from all over the state come in here every weekend. We missed that. We haven't had that since 2019. And, you know, I hope that that's the case. And I, I hope we're going to see that 
right away um, on those first two home weekends, just what we lost this last year. I mean, that, that to me, it, it's more than just the game. That to me is what I'm looking forward to the most. Well, one of the best parts about living in Lincoln and being in Lincoln is fall home game Saturdays where there's that buzz. It's, uh, you know, just a, a community event where everybody's pulling for the same team. Everybody's dressed in red party. And uh, it, I mean, it just brings out so much joy in people, but just as importantly uh, for our, lo- our local economy here, getting people back in bars and restaurants and, uh, you know, buying things and, and, and frequenting hotels and just, you know, providing the vital spike in uh, the, just the, 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 economy for the for Lincoln is so critical so I mean yes there's a football aspect of it but there's so many other layers that go well beyond just what goes on on the field and that wraps it up here for the mailbag when we come back on the show Husker Online's Brian Munson will join us next we'll talk recruiting you're listening here to the Husker Online show you're listening to the Husker Online show your authority on Nebraska athletics well he's from a great school he comes from great coaches there that program is a winning program be honest, I've, I've been watching him for a long time. He's been a player there for a while at that school there. And I have a great relationship with those coaches. We had the opportunity to get him when he decided to come to us. We knew he was going to be a, a pretty good player for it. Now, he's still got a lot of work to, to go. Everybody's praising him. I'm not praising him at one iota right now because I know he's got a lot of work to get done. And um, he's going to be a good player for us, but he's still got to put in the work. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show final segment. That was Sean Becton talking about Gabe Irvin. And I wanted to play that sound by Robin or um, Brian Munson because Nebraska in, in recruiting Georgia and Sean Becton, it's kind of become one of the hot spots for the staff. And Sean Becton's a big reason why, led a part of getting Gabe Irvin. And, you know, even right now with some of the remaining spots out there, Georgia is a key spot for Nebraska in this recruiting class. Oh, it, it absolutely is. I mean, but we expected that. You know, Nathan Vale is still hanging out there, although he's not going to, like, make a decision anytime soon. Um, you know, Joshua White, who's a four-star defensive end, Nebraska just made the top four for him. So we're going to look to try to get a hold of him later on this week. There, there are other players. You know, there's there's a there's a player now at Buford that Nebraska has, has offered, and in, in, uh, in Malik Spencer, who's now a Michigan State, has actually been a Michigan State commitment since March. Um, we expected this. We we expect Nebraska to go through and continue to hammer the recruiting ta- recruiting trail in Georgia. I feel like that they, you heard it right there from Sean Becton, they feel like they have a uh, a, a tremendous relationship with a lot of, with a number of high schools. Buford, Georgia, being one of those, and that's probably perennially one of the top high schools in the state of Georgia. So. Um, nothing too surprising. We all expected it. Obviously, it's down a little bit just from class size, but Georgia's going to play a role in the, in, the, in the class this year for Nebraska, no doubt. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we talk with Brian Munson. The Huskers get commitment number nine, Brian, from offensive lineman Valen Erickson um, out of Chicago. He made his third trip to Lincoln before committing here um, on the, the little period where visitors were allowed to come in on unofficial trips. Jake McCullough then out of Colorado followed that on Saturday with the commitment to Stanford. Any link there at all, Brian? I mean, do you have a read that A led to B or anything at all the way those two things played out? 
I got the feeling, and I kind of shared this with you when I was on vacation, that I felt like Makula was waiting around on something. I think we just found out what it was. It was Stanford. And and I'm sure Stanford, um, after his visit, was incredibly impressive. And I'm sure that the message that they sent to Makula, you know, was, hey, you know, we've already got a number of guys in the class that are offensive linemen. Um, you can be one of those guys if you take the spot right now. Otherwise, if you're not – we're moving on and, and good luck to you. But that that's a very compelling, you know, kind of place to be in, you know, when it comes to being a recruit and having basically that situation kind of been just lined up for you. I don't think there's any correlation. I do feel like Nebraska got a guy that was a little bit higher on their board in Erickson. And I think, you know, based on another conversation that you and I had, I think that that commitment takes a lot of pressure off where Nebraska is at currently with the class being at nine, getting off the schneid when it comes to, uh, you know, not having an offensive lineman in the class. They got Schwartz a couple of weeks ago. You get your first defensive lineman in the class. Now you're still kind of looking like the biggest hole is and still it was and still is defensive back. Uh, I think that there's still a room for a, a second offensive lineman at least, and potentially, you know, you have some flexibility then kind of a, a, after that, which um, I, I think is something that Nebraska could really use to their advantage uh, here later on in the, in the coming months. We're talking recruiting here with Brian Munson as Nebraska sitting at nine. And, you know, what's interesting, Brian, is we both get the sense now that Maybe Nebraska has kind of put the brakes on things. Uh, they easily could be at 12, 13, but the problem is they might only have 13, 14 total spots. And you know, I think they're optimistic about what the season's going to be, the chances of maybe getting in with a few guys that eliminated the Big Red earlier in the summer that they can now get on campus. What's your read on how Nebraska plans to maybe finish out with these final five or so spots? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think Nebraska is kind of betting on red right here. I think that they they have a very winnable, you know, first three games. I think they have a really tough contest game for when they go to Norman. But if even if you go there and show out and and play well and are going toe to toe, you you can make that a positive uh, by taking that trip and 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 doing well there. But I think even by then. If Nebraska starts out 3-0 and and there's any chatter about the, the upcoming showdown in Norman, I think that that's going to be put, played on the right television sets and the right amount of media is going to be out there kind of hyping that game potentially to where Nebraska can use that as an angle to get back with those guys that you kind of said. The players that they couldn't get on campus in June, the players that told them no in June that all of a sudden – uh, winning a few games to start the season off shows that, that maybe you've turned a corner. Um, and, and that's Nebraska, I think, you know, betting on themselves and and wanting to take advantage of, you know, of course, having a little bit more weight to kind of throw around and that we're being we're, we're finally getting on the road to success and we're going to be a winning program from here on out. So I, I, I think that that's going to be the case. I think Nebraska is legitimately tapping the brakes there's a few official offers that came out that i think that you and i compared notes on that we were a little bit interested about and in, in figuring out how they kind of fit um but then you know I, I think after that you start talking about if you were at 12 and you were going to get 14 maybe 15 guys tops i, I still think you have uh, two maybe three spots that you could like legitimately hold on to them and and just try to keep getting into a picture with some other players that may be a little bit higher on your board that you didn't have a chance to get to in June. 
as we wrap it up here with Brian Munson in August 1st, it's so confusing, I think, to the fans because these kids tweet out offers all the time. I mean, they tweet out offers in eighth grade, ninth grade. But August 1st was technically official offer day, meaning officially offers in writing. And not a lot of surprises there, Brian, but you did a pretty good job of detailing a handful of surprise, quote, official offers that happened for Nebraska on August 1st. Yeah, there's there's three at least that caught my eye, and we kind of outlined them in three and out, but we'll go through them again here real quick. One in Hall. Uh, who's really was listed as a wide receiver before by rivals, but was moved over to athlete. I think that he's a longer defensive back. He's out of Florida. Uh, I think that that's a guy that, that potentially looks a lot like James Mons on, on film. Uh, that's probably not by a coincidence. I think Nebraska really hoped to get one of those longer type defensive backs in the class. Malik Spencer, who's a guy that we mentioned before, Michigan State commitment, Buford, Georgia guy. Nebraska obviously has great great ties into the state of Georgia, particularly Buford High School. Um, it's going to be that's a guy that we need to reach out to to see if you know since he's touting this out there being a Michigan State commitment, is he going to take some trips? And then Matthew James. Matthew James doesn't have a story done yet on him uh, from rivals, but this is a guy that came out, and this may be the guy that I'm the most. Uh, confused or have the, m- the most questions for because most of his film, as I saw it on Huddle, has him playing wide receiver. So does Nebraska now have a third wide receiver spot in the class or is Matthew being recruited to potentially play somewhere in the secondary? So, uh, And that, that kind of brings up a guy like Keenan Mangum, who we brought up here before, that I think if, he if there would have been a spot at wide receiver – you know, he probably would have been in the class already. Um, is he is he really one of your top choices at defensive back? I, I don't think the, I don't think the answer to that question is yes at all. Although he did tout an official offer, you know, on August first. So, some things that we're going to be following up here on Husker Online are definitely some interviews with these three guys that we out, we outlined before, and obviously the the announcement of the top making the top four for defensive end Joshua White. And if you haven't already, make sure you're on HuskerOnline.com. We'll keep you up to date on the recruiting, on fall camp, on basketball. Also, make sure you're subscribed to the Husker Online podcast channel. Um, You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Megaphone, iHeart, Google, just about anywhere that carries a podcast. You can find the Husker Online channel. We now will have three shows dropped per week. On Monday, JoJo Doman's The Beat will drop every week. And then on Wednesday is our traditional Husker Online show. And then on Friday, uh, off court with the McGowns featuring Nebraska basketball players Trey and Bryce McGowns. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.